We're going to go into the word this morning as we continue our series, Relation Slips, Some Assembly Required. If you've been here over the last two weeks, you know that uh, we, we said, we said that relationships do not come turnkey or maintenance free, that there is some assembly that is required. In fact, one of my mentors uh, said it this way when he was taking us through premarital counseling. He said, marriages are made in heaven but they must be maintained on earth. Uh, The same is true for relationships. So we're going through this journey uh, using the word of God as our compass, as our guide, as our global positioning system to guide us through, to help us navigate the often uh, quirky, often turbulent, often volatile waters of relationships. Amen? How many of you realize that your happiness in life is directly correlated to the quality of your relationships? Y'all miss that, eh? It is impossible to have a truly abundant life that Jesus promised apart from healthy relationships. Because you could be happy one moment coming out of your prayer closet with Jesus. And all it takes is just one person. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Relationships matter. In fact, relationships matter to God so much that he said it was not good for man to be alone. We've talked about that exhaustively. We're examining the life of um, uh, one uh, one character in the Bible uh, that was... um, uh, Pretty curious because of his emotions. Amen. Okay, can I say this to you? Uh, uh, because that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, the subtitle of today's message is I'm in my feelings. Now, feelings and emotions are a gift from God. Remember, we are triune, right? We are three-part beings, all right? We are spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. All right. When the scripture says that God created us in his image and after his likeness, that's exactly what it was saying. God is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You as well are triune. You are not monolithic or one-dimensional. You first and foremost are a spiritual being. That's why when this body dies, this flesh dies, your spirit and soul live on. All your body is, this body that we often try to feed, and this body that we often try to, to, to accommodate is temporal. It's a piece of dirt. The most important part of who you are is the part that nobody sees, your spirit and your soul. Inside of our soul, or our soul is the seat of our, our will, which is my ability to say yes or no, my emotions or my feelings, and my intellect, my capacity to reason. All of life, Joyce Meyer, in fact, calls it the battlefield of the mind. All of life is processed in my soul because I receive information. I receive data. It is deposited in my intellect, my ability to reason and comprehend. My soul then processes what I hear. I can decide whether I like that person or not like that person, whether I like the information I'm receiving or not receiving. And then my willpower kicks in because I decide. My willpower is my ability to say yes to the right thing or no to the right thing. It all happens in my soul. And again, the soul. 
is not only the seat of your intellect, your ability to reason, is not only the seat of your willpower, the ability to say yes or no, but it is also the place where our emotions reside. God created us to live with healthy emotions, not to be led by them. I can guarantee you that an emotion-led life is a miserable life. But that's where most of us live, though. We allow our emotions to lead us. And let me tell you, our emotions are given to us to be indicators, not dictators. Let me give you an example. When a person gets angry and they are in a healthy emotional state, that emotion of anger exists to alert you that something or someone you care about is being mistreated. Jesus went into the temple and turned it upside down. And then he explains why he was filled with righteous indignation. He said he was filled with righteous indignation because they had made the house of God a den of thieves. Even Jesus got angry. But the scripture says, in your anger, sin not. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry when someone you love or something you care about is being mistreated. It is an indicator that God has given us. Are y'all with me? But it's not supposed to be our dictator. That everything in my life is determined by how I feel. Let me tell you why. Because when you're happy, everything's good. And when you ain't happy, everybody gonna know about it. No, it's just an indicator. It's not meant to be a dictator. And as we examine the life of Jonah, even though he was a prophet of God, and let me tell you what a prophet was. A prophet was an outspeaker for God. How many realize that pastors got issues too? Oh, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean to for you to know that I, I just turned around, but you didn't have to lift your hand. Uh, we got issues too. You know why we got issues too? Because we're human. And can I tell you why most pastors have issues? Uh, most pastors have issues. Because if you don't deal with your pain, you're going to make life painful for others. There are a lot of pastors in the pulpit who lead and preach from a painful place. And those who don't deal with their pain make life painful for others. Uh, in fact, you've heard me say this before. Every villain starts out a victim. Every comic book you've ever read, every villain in every comic book you've ever read was thrown into a vat of acid. Somebody rejected him. Somebody did him wrong. And because he didn't deal with his pain, he's now hell-bent on making life painful for everybody else because misery loves company. Don't look at him or her. Y'all missed that. I thought y'all were going to laugh on that one, but y'all scared. Y'all scared. Misery loves company. And you might be sitting, sitting next to somebody who is making your life miserable. You know why? Because they haven't dealt with their pain. Uh, the reason I talk about pastors is because pastors have this unique, uh, this unique opportunity to have uh, multiple breakups over the life cycle of a church. 
And if a pastor doesn't keep his heart healthy, he can minister and lead from that place of pain. And that's why on Twitter, again, I'll say this, or on social media, you'll hear pastors say, if somebody can walk away from you, they're not a part of your destiny. Sounds good, but is it true? Because again, if we believe that, and I see people liking, clapping, putting emojis, if that's true, what do we do with the story of the prodigal son? Just rip it out the Bible. If that's true, what do we do with Peter, who denied Jesus three times, who Jesus turned around and made the head of the church? Didn't Peter abandon Jesus at his most vulnerable hour? Oh, after he promised, Lord, that ain't never going to happen to you. Anybody ever tell you, I'm never going to leave you? You my ride or die? If you allow your emotions to lead you, it makes for a very lonely life. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Now, the stuff we're talking about is not for the faint of heart. The gospel is not for the faint of heart. The stuff we're talking about is for people who are grown. And growing. And that is the nature of Jonah's life. He's a prophet. He's God's messenger. An outspeaker for God. But Jonah is all in his feelings. We talked about that last week. That Jonah, like most of us, Ed, instead of wanting resolution, want relief. When relationships get hard. Remember, God told him to go east 500 miles, and he chose to go west 2,000 miles. He was 2,500 miles away from the problem because Jonah didn't want resolution. He just wanted relief, and that's what most of us do. We write people off because it's easier to forget them, avoid them, ignore them than to work toward resolution. That's what Jesus, or that's what God is moving Jonah toward. And those are the principles that we're going to deal with. So last week, we just spent some time in chapter one. And in chapter one, we said, if you're going to be successful at relationships, fight for resolution. Fight for resolution, not just relief. Because many of us are avoiding people that we should reconcile with. That's chapter one. Chapter two, I'm not going to get into it. But Jonah had to get right with God. In chapter 2, God in his mercy sends this whale that swallows Joseph or a big fish, not Joseph, Jonah. He swallows Jonah and in that place, uh, uh, in the belly of the, the big fish, Jonah repents. Sometimes you and I have to get right with God before we can get right with them. Y'all missed that. Can I just say the reason, part of the reason is so difficult to get right with them is because you ain't right with God. Because if you and I were truly right with God, what we would hear God say is forgive them. We wouldn't hear God say cut them off. Don't ever talk to them. Write them off. God don't do that. And sometimes it requires me being rightly aligned with God, who in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 said, be kind and tenderhearted. 
forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. He said, to what extent should I be willing to forgive? To the same extent that I have been forgiven. And sometimes getting it right with them is hard because we haven't gotten it right with God first. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. Because the father of modern psychology, at least he's credited for it, and Shavonda's here, she's a therapist, master's degree, Dallas Baptist University. Abraham Maslow, the father of modern psychology, said it this way, the first thing that is necessary for a person to change is an awareness of himself. Nothing in my life changes until I become aware of myself because we all got blind spots. And here is Jonah feeling justified in his anger. And God is about to make him aware of himself that, hey, man, the Ninevites got the issues, but bruh, you all in your feelings. You don't even realize it, but you part of the problem. That's what God is trying to teach him. Because in going to people that he hates, going to people that he would rather see judged and destroyed. Anyway, let me get back to the text. Here's the beauty of it, though. Here's the beauty of it. Chapter 3. Can you put Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1 on the screen, Ken? Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. And baby, while he's pulling it up there, jump in and say something. Because I'm, I'm about to turn loose up in here. So let me go ahead and say a little something. Okay. Well, one of the ways that we can be aware of ourselves is being in the word. And I know that sounds very cliche. Oh, I go to church, but you can't hinge on just Sunday morning teachings or just listening to uh, teachings on YouTube of your favorite pastor. The Bible is a mirror, and not to show us how bad we are, or how wrong we are, to make us aware of ourselves and to give us hope to change, hope to do something better. They, we have Bible apps. There's uh, version. You can go on there if it's hard for you to sit and concentrate and, and read because we know life is happening for everyone. You can go to version. There are certain translations of the Bible that it'll read it to you. But you have to have a time set aside, a reflection time. That's the only way we give, get strength. How many times have you come to church and you're like, yes, that was a good word. I'm going to do it. And then by the time you get to the restaurant, something happens. And then that, uh, that hope you've had, it's just all out of the window. Right. It's because we have to be anchored in the word. I think Pastor Ray is a phenomenal Pastor, I live with him, but his words aren't enough. It has to be my relationship and allowing the Lord to work on my heart. Yeah. And so that's what we want to move you all to, not just to come to church and hear a great motivational topic from the word, is that you're only going to be anchored in these teachings. Right. It's in the word. It's in the word. It, we, we are not enough because we're human beings. Right. We are not, no pastor is ever going to be enough. It's like, this is your word, God. You love me enough, and I can do this. We get in our feelings again, and I said it last week, and I'm going to continue to say it because it's the truth. 
is usually getting in our feelings is because we don't trust that God will be our great defense. Come on. Come on. It, it, it goes all the way back to, do I trust that Jesus loves me? Do I trust, and we were singing, you know, being confident. Yeah. Am I confident that God is for me? And when we're not confident of that one thing, then we will fight our way through life. We'll fight the wrong fight. We'll fight the wrong people. And we'll still shake our fists at God. Like, I go to church. I'm serving. It's not working out. And so we throw in the towel when we have to go all the way back to is the simple song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Come on. For the Bible tells me so. If we do not establish a confidence in God, this thing called life is not going to work out for us because life is already in full swing and it's coming for your lunch, breakfast, dinner, and snack. Come on, come on. Good word, good word. So let's dive into, let's dive into Jonah chapter three. Y'all ready? Jonah chapter one, relief over resolution. Jonah chapter two, get right with God before you can get right with them. God will bring you to a place in the belly of a whale in isolation and seclusion where you will have to deal with yourself where you will have to deal with yourself and take ownership of why you are the way you are. Don't blame the Ninevites. Take ownership for why you are the way you are, why I am the way I am. Don't blame nobody but me, but you, because we each have a choice. Again, we're talking about willpower now. You can choose to be angry or you can choose to forgive them. You have something called willpower where you can turn the switch on and off. Because I can walk into a room and see Stephen Jones and walk the other way. And I can see Tony Stein and say, hey, Tony, how you doing? I can turn that switch on and off depending on who I'm interacting with. And this morning, God wants to make each of us aware of ourselves. Let's take this log out of our own eye before we attempt to take the speck out of our brother's eye because this is what I'm sure of. LASIK surgery is too delicate to do while you got a log sticking out your own eye. And this is what I know. This is what I know. This is what I know. For those of us who try to do surgery on other people with a big log sticking out our eye, we hurt them. We damage them. And this is what I know. Maybe if you and I took the log out our own eye, we would realize that maybe there wasn't even a speck in my brother's eye to begin with. That what I thought was a speck in my brother's eye was really distorted vision because of the log in my own eye. And because I didn't deal with my log, everything around me was distorted. And I start pointing fingers at people that I think are Ninevites when I'm all in my feelings. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in the whale. God will make you come face to face with yourself mm -hmm. and take ownership for your emotions. But there's something beautiful that happens when you come out that whale though. It's beautiful when you come out the whale though. It's awesome when you come out the whale because Jonah chapter three happens when the whale spits you out. Notice what the scripture says in verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Our God is not a one-and-done God. 
In fact, he's not just the God of the second chance because most of us would have been written off a long time ago. He's the God of new beginnings. So he's given, he's given Jonah a do-over. He said, man, I know you've been all in your feelings. And I know I'm, I, I'm telling you to preach a message of mercy to the Ninevites. But the reason you could preach this message of mercy to the Ninevites is because I was first merciful to you. I'm going to let you rot in the belly of that whale, though, for your disobedience. But the reason you now have the capacity to be merciful to somebody else is because I have shown you great mercy. How soon we forget. How soon we forget. How desperately we needed the mercy of God. And when somebody else needs our mercy. Mm. But our God is redemptive in everything he does though. And just as he's about to give the Ninevites another chance, he spoke to Jonah a second time. And this is what he says. He said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Come on, y'all. This is good. He said, I'm going to give you a message to give to them. Let's go. Verse 3. In fact, let me read it out of my Bible. So Jonah arose. Come on, somebody. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Jonah now chooses to do what God told him. Can I say this? When you're dealing with difficult people, when you're dealing with hard relationships, my part is obedience. God's part is the outcome. I want you to hear this now. God's part is the outcome. Most of us don't obey God when it comes to reconciliation and restoring relationships because we try to control the outcome. I can't control how they respond. Jonah could have gone to Nineveh and those people could have killed him. Jonah's part, because of what God was doing in Jonah's heart, was to go talk to them. Now when you go talk to them, they might spit on you, they might slap you, they may not answer your call. That's not your decision to make. The outcome rests with God. But in my obedience, God is doing open heart surgery. God is helping me deal with the log in my eye. And I'm going to let God deal with the speck in their eye. I hope you're hearing this. Because just as much as God wants to deal with the Ninevites, he wants to deal with the darkness in Jonah. Okay. Okay. Uh, It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, come on somebody, verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know why I like that? Because when I was reading through the Jonah, this is what the question I had. What do you say to your Ninevites? When God says to Ray, go make it right with Will. And I wish that God would judge Will and wipe him off the face of the earth. Not for real, not for real. We ain't got no beef. Like Biggie and Pac, West Side. No, how do you open your mouth and start to talk to somebody 
who three days before, remember he spent three days in the belly of the wheel, three days before you were saying, God, I wish you would kill them. What do you say when you finally stand face to face with them? What do you say to your Ninevites? Notice what Jonah said. Jonah was like, I'm just going to give it to you raw. If you don't fix your attitude, God's going to kill you. What do you say to your Ninevites? You tell the truth. No, no, no. You don't, you don't avoid the elephant in the room. When you choose to obey God and God is dealing with the log in your eye and you come face to face with your Ninevites, you tell the truth. Now, let me tell you why most of us struggle with this. We misunderstand what Jesus said. Because I think some of y'all thinking about, oh, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Isn't that what Jesus said? Oh, somebody do you wrong. They come in into your 18 inches and knock. I mean, knock you out. He said, don't just let them hit you on one side. Turn the other cheek. Let me tell you how Pastor Ray wrote. You can, you can sneak in one, but you better duck when I come back around. <laughs> let me tell you what Jesus is saying when he says, turn the other cheek. There is a huge difference between confrontation and retaliation. What Jesus is saying when he says turn the other cheek is he's saying don't retaliate. In fact, it was Mahatma Gandhi who said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. What he's saying is don't retaliate, but the Bible is filled with examples of confrontation. God confronted Adam in the garden. Say, hey, where you at, man? Why you tripping? Didn't avoid it. Came face to face with Adam. And what God is calling Jonah to is to now come face to face with people that he hates and still love them. But in coming face to face with people that he hates, he has to speak the truth. You hurt me. When you said that, it wounded me. Whatever your truth is, you don't come to Nineveh beaten around the bush. And let me tell you, when you show up in Nineveh, your ability to tell the truth to your Ninevites will determine the pace of your healing. Let me tell you, all that stuff you're keeping in is destructive. Not only emotionally, it is destructive in your physical health. And, and the sooner you get it out, the sooner you get it out. And I talk about getting it out on the wrong people because most of our anger is misplaced frustration. Beating up on the wrong people. Your kids didn't do that to you. Your husband didn't do that to you. In fact, my wife and I call it the ex-boyfriend syndrome. You're making the new man pay for what the last guy did. No, the reason you're beating up on the new man is because you haven't confronted the last man. And that thing is eating you up. And you're trying to get it out 
but you beating up on somebody who ain't got nothing to do with why you angry. When you show up in Nineveh, what do you say to your Ninevites? You tell the truth. So the scripture says, that's the scripture. You've seen that acrostic for truth? Think. Is it think? Not truth. It's think. Where you say think before you speak. All right. So the T is, is it true? That's where you start. Is it true? Yes, it's true. God was about to annihilate them. If somebody is wrong, tell them. That is wrong. We live in a world today where everybody trying to be politically correct. And what you got to do is just tell the truth. That's what the scripture says. Speak the truth in love. Don't yell at them. Don't cuss them out. But speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4. Number two, is it helpful? Was Jonah trying to help the Ninevites? In going to my Ninevites, is what I'm saying to them helpful? Absolutely. It's going to help them in their next relationship. Number three, is it, does it inspire the I? He was inspiring them to change, to turn from the way they've always been. I'm talking now to married folk. Because married folk, we notorious for running to Tarshish. We would rather avoid the problem than talk about it. And that's why the scripture says to Adam, about Adam and Eve, that they were both naked and unashamed. It speaks more uh, of just a physical nakedness. Can I be totally vulnerable, transparent, and exposed without fear of being shamed by somebody I love? If I, if I tell you this, is it going to become a weapon against me? If I tell you this, how I really feel, I, I'm not saying I don't love you. I'm not saying I hate you. But can I just express to you how I really, genuinely feel? No. So guess what people do? They stop talking. Because we don't get, give people permission to tell the truth. The end. Is it necessary? Now, granted, should we speak the truth? Yeah. Are there some things that are necessary? No. But the things that are necessary are the things we should say. And then the K is it kind. Think before you speak. So Jonah shows up in Nineveh. And I I promise you, I'm going to go fast because I want to wrap this up uh, today. What time is it? Okay. We're going to go fast. Um, We can't wrap it up today. We're out of time. We're out of time. We can't wrap it up today because if I try... So notice verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell? If God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger. 
so that we may not perish. Say this with me. If I repent, if I repent God will relent. It is possible that if I change my heart, God will change his heart. Chapter 4. This is where we close. This is where we close. I'm just going to introduce these thoughts, and we'll finish up with it next week. In fact, next week, we're going to have... a. week um, all right it's gonna be good though it's gonna be good all right I'm in my feelings this is where we're gonna close I'm in my feelings I'm not gonna oh yeah yeah go ahead go ahead so I won't say that go ahead baby one thing, even as Pastor Ray is teaching when it says you know tell the truth you always want to make sure that the timing is right. Good. So if your boss comes and says something or you're in a meeting and he says something that publicly shames you, that is maybe not necessarily the time to get up and tell them the truth. What you said is wrong. So in how we tell the truth, the first step, if you are hurt or offended or wounded by something, then whether it's through an email or a text you can set aside a time. I would like to speak to you about this and such, the thing that happened. And you can give them a time to process because sometimes if people are in their feelings, their head could be swimming about something that has nothing to do with you. Sometimes people don't even remember. A lot of times people play games, but sometimes people genuinely don't remember or they don't think anything of it. So you can approach, hey, can we speak about what happened in the meeting? And then you get their permission and you keep it with I. Say, when you made that comment, I was taken back by it. And then you ask them, can you explain that to me? Because a lot of times when we are hurt, we want to tell people, you said this or you did this because of such and such and such and such. And then you start fighting about the thing that is not this thing, and it gets all off. So sometimes even asking them, can you help me understand? And if they say, well, I said that because Susie sent me an email and said you had it taken care of, and you didn't, then you can go back and say, oh, I did tell Susie or something. I mean, I'm going far-fetched, but these, this is a process. It is re- relationships are work. Whether it's in a romantic relationship, whether it's on a job, as God's people, we are called to be honoring. And you can be mad. I mean, you can be wanting to fight. The first thing you do is you lift your eyebrows up. Mm-hmm. This goes for men, too. Because if you frown this thing when you get down here, it'll make you cuss. <laughs> you know, is. you'll say, what? Right. You, and you go on from there if you it's so easy <laughs> it's hard to say what like that if your eyebrows are all the way up when somebody does something just say oh you have to tr- you have to practice it in the car <laughs> and in the shower to have a godly response get your eyebrows up first because mm. if you go down here you are going all the way down all the way in and then you might be so filled with pride and shame then you can't get it get it right. So say when you said this, this is how I felt. Open the door 
being God's people, the first place we ought to identify ourselves with is as Christ followers. Before I am a mother, a wife, African-American, black woman, leader, I'm a daughter of the Most High King. Good, good. And so many times in fighting my way, I have just missed that first step. So how do you tell the truth? Set up a time. Can we talk about this? And just if you resolution is 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 what we're seeking for then we don't have to attack this is how you made me feel I don't understand what you meant when you said this a lot of times we're like why would you say this to me I can't believe and who do you think you are and that just gets somebody in a defensive posture because sometimes we are just not aware of our monkey business and it doesn't mean that we're out to hurt other people. In walking in forgiveness, you can feel offended. This is the best way to beat your flesh. Because your flesh is not going to feel like walking in love. You have to train yourself through the word to walk in love. And I told this story before, but I was a director at a preschool when we were getting City Church off the ground when we started, so about five, six years ago. And so I went from actually being the secretary to the director. And, you know, people just sometimes aren't able to make those transitions gracefully because they think you think you're something. You're just trying to get some insurance and use your degree, but they just want to make it something else. So I had a teacher and she was on the phone and, you know, in the preschool world, you have to write them up and everything. So we had a meeting with the owners and I have, I'm from the hood and I have never been cussed out in my face like I, I mean, ever. I come become a preschool director, and this girl, I mean, she wears me out. She cusses me out in front of the owner. I mean, and she is doing her head, and she got her hand in my face, and she don't come from my neighborhood, so I'm like, why is she rolling her neck? She don't even know about all this I got up in here. She don't even know I will dog walk her butt down on that curb right there, standing in my face, cussing hey, hey, me baby, out. Baby, oh, baby. Yeah. Put your eyebrows yeah, up. Yeah, but Put see, this is what up. I'm this is what's going on on the inside. When I have my eyebrows up, this is what I'm saying. I'm like, she don't even know where I come from. I don't even need this little stupid nickel job. I'm just trying to get the church out the ground. <laughs> but let me tell you, I sat there and everything in me was shaking. That was what was really going through my mind. And I might have dropped a couple bombs in my mind. <laughs> and I sat there, I crossed my ankles. I folded my hands, I got my eyebrows up, my underarms were sweating, my heart was racing. And I was, I mean, this thing, I was like, she just don't even know. But the whole root of that is, is I struggle with the stronghold of being respected. That is a root of pride. I, when I feel disrespected, if I let my flesh rule, I struggle. That is a stronghold because who am I but for the grace of God? So she wore me out. I lifted my eyebrows up. I mean, just thinking about it is making me shake. And I just said, thank you so much. You are excused. And my owner is right there. And he, you know, he looks like he's at Wimbledon because he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and And I'm just sitting there. And when I said, thank you, you may be excused. Y'all, she sat back. I ain't going nowhere. So I just sat there quietly because I just kept thinking. I don't even know what happened. I just kept thinking, protect your witness. Protect your witness. Protect your witness. 
and she left, and I'm rocking like Miss Seely from the Color Purple. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I told my boss. I'm still talking about forgiving. This is what I told my boss. I said, I have reached my capacity. Yeah. I am unable to navigate this. Yeah. I'm going to talk to my husband, and I will be putting in my two weeks notice. Because this thing going to cost me my salvation. Because I wanted it to. I wanted to wear her out. Because how dare she disrespect me. Pride. Uh, Wendy, full of pride. Full of self-righteousness. Full of indignant. Because what she was about to do every time when I was sweet little Wendy, she was about to get it. 38 years worth of I'm sick of people getting in my face and going off. I was only doing my job and who does she think she is? And the Lord, I put in my two week notice and my boss was like, nope, I need you to stay. And from September to December, because I bear the name of Jesus, I had to be her leader. And I, when I told my boss that day and I'm crying and snotting. I was like, this building could be on fire. Don't you ask me to say nothing to her. <laughs> and I meant it. Yeah. And yeah. it was wrong. And the Lord dealt with me. This thing affected me physically at 2 a.m. that next morning. I felt like I had been doing leg lifts because that is how much rage I had in me because I had not dealt with so many other situations in my life. So guess what? I just beat my flesh and I started serving her. So the first thing I made my flesh do is buy her a Starbucks card because every kind of teacher likes Starbucks. <laughs> and I didn't even give it to her nicely. I just put a note on it and left it on her little counter before she came to work. <laughs> then when it was something with October, I don't even celebrate Halloween. I bought her a bag of candy. Come on. Because I'm making my flesh right. work out the thing that I believe. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to sit in this seat and say anything to you because ministry is not what happens on Sunday morning. It's how I live in my private life. Good. Good. And so then when December came, I finally, from September to December, when Christmas came, I finally was able to take her a jar of candy with my eyebrows lifted up and said, Merry Christmas. I didn't do that for any other teacher because she was the one I despised. When you want to live for God Good. and your flesh is telling you, you got the right and you should, and your history and your auntie and your grandma and them in the hood say, you know what? You could just do this and all this. When you want to live for God and stand before him. Good. That is how I worked out my forgiveness. Good. And lo and behold, six months after I finally left the job, guess who I see at the Target? <laughs> Miss Thing. And I was with me as my witness. I was like, don't say nothing. Don't say, because we were walking out and I was hoping she didn't see me. And her daughter saw me and was like, hey, Miss Wendy. And I got my eyebrows up. I was like, hey. And she was like, how are you doing? And she hugged me and said, how was the church? And she didn't even know how much even when I saw her at the Target, everything was racing in me. And the only thing I did is I didn't present Wendy as a great person. If I run into her today at Target, I can still speak Jesus into her Good. life. Good. We have to make a choice. When I'm buying her candy and Starbucks cards, I didn't even want to do it. I was doing it grudgingly, but I had to do something. I, didn't, I couldn't, as a leader, say, oh, you cussed me out there, hurt my feelings. Because that's what it did. It hurt my feelings and it embarrassed me. And then I was mad at my boss. I said, you didn't even defend me. You just let her cuss me out like that. And he was like, well, I, you a strong person. I thought you were doing well. 
So then I right. felt like not only, and I'm making the thing about what it's not. So I feel unsupported, right. unprotected, disrespected, humiliated, and it was none of that. Before I got to sit in this seat, the Lord was working out. He was working out in me. You can't take that pride and serve the people. I still struggle in that area of feeling disrespected, but I don't have to buy candy and Starbucks cards now. I look at what my heart says and what is true. Is this that person's natural character every day? Nope. What is true is that I promised God that I would serve the people before I ever got to City Church. Me being the director was not being the leader. It was to serve the people. So it goes back to who am I in Christ? What am I going to do? How can I stand before Jesus above this lady thinking that I was something special? So I just wanted to give you some tools to how do we work out forgiveness? How do we work out telling the truth? I never did get around to telling her that was wrong or whatever. Some things are just obvious. But in that whole situation, the Lord had to work out and was working out and continues to work out that little hook of pride I have. And so those are some things I'm not telling you to buy candy or Starbucks cards. Whatever you need to do to work out the word in your life so that the name of the Lord can be praised, then that's what I encourage you to do. Awesome. Awesome. Phenomenal. We'll talk about that some more next week. It's going to be incredible. Man, look, if you got some friends, invite them. Make sure they're here. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is not original to us. Dr. John Gottman, who was a psychologist at uh, University of Washington, an author, uh, uh, I mean, has written so many great books about relationships and about emotions, talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He says he can predict with 95% accuracy which relationships will, 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 will thrive and which will fail based on these, the presence of these four factors. Number one, criticism. Number two, contempt. Number three, defensiveness. Number four, stonewalling. We've done it before where you can text in your questions in real time. And uh, we'll answer some of those questions for you while you're here. Why don't you stand with us uh, as we're dismissed?